All right, so uh, Scott last week talked about prayer in one of the services. <laughs> and if you weren't at that service, I just want to kind of catch you up to speed. One of the things that he said was that prayer is a conversation, a divine conversation that's happening between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and we get invited into that conversation. That's what, what happens when we engage in prayer and when we, be, when we begin to communicate with the Father, uh, we are invited into this divine conversation that the Lord is having. And we get to do that every moment of every day. And, um, and, and so I want to talk about kind of one of those moments where this began to happen in Scripture. So if you, if you have uh, your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 26. Um, there's a, a passage in Matthew 26, um, starting in, in verse 36. Jesus is with his disciples. He's kind of ending his ministry on earth. He's getting ready to die on the cross uh, to restore community between us and God. And it says this. It says, Then... Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. Um, by the way, uh, when, when you go to Israel, you will visit there. All right, so, so we were sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane. This place, like there's a, there's a, um, a hillside that overlooks all of Jerusalem, and it's called the Mount of Olives. And, and you go to the Mount of Olives and you get to see this breathtaking view of Jerusalem. And then you walk down this road called the Palm Sunday Road, which is where Jesus rode the donkey down. If you read back in the Gospels, rode the donkey down in through the city up to Jerusalem. Um, and uh, uh, at the end of the Passover, which is where we're at in this scripture, he goes to the Mount of or he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives. So we are hanging out in this place. Uh, Gethsemane means oil press. It's where a bunch of olives are made. It's where they make uh, olive oil. And so we're in this Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was, and he said to his disciples in verse thirty-six, "Sit here while I go." Over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that was James and John. So he takes Peter, James, and John. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Um, I think that this is probably the first time in Scripture where. Peter, James, and John, I don't know about the other disciples because the way that I read this, it kind of sounds like Jesus goes away to a place where just Peter, James, and John can interact with him. But this, in this passage, this is the first time that I remember reading where it says that he was sorrowful and troubled. Jesus was heavy. Like, he knew that death was coming. He knew that he was getting ready to have to suffer and die an extremely painful death. And so, he, like, I, I picture the disciples seeing Jesus uh, maybe in a way they've never seen him before. And maybe that caused some concern. <laughs> like, Jesus, what's going on? Um, but he goes on, it says this in verse 38. He said to them, 
My soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. He says, my, my, my soul is sorrowful. Like, I feel like I'm going to die. The way, the way that that reads is like there's this heavy weight. In the, in the Greek, um, it, it unpacks like there's this, there's this grieving process that Jesus has on him that makes him feel like he can't breathe. It makes him feel like he can't go any further. Notice in the verse right before that, he says, I'm going to go over here and pray. Right, I'm gonna go pray. Why? Because I am heavy to the point that I feel like I'm gonna die. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been to that place where uh, your world feels so heavy that you don't know what to do and you don't know where to turn and you don't know what's next. Um, This right here, Jesus provides an excellent example of how we are to operate. What does he tell Peter, James, and John to do? He says, watch with me. Stay awake. That's what the word watch means. Stay awake. Pray with me. Pray with me. All right, quick little side note. When you are going through something, no matter how insignificant it might seem, you need a Peter, James, and John. Bradley just said it a minute ago, like we cannot get through this life alone You need a core group of people that can walk with you. Jesus modeled this for us. That's the reason why you see him taking Peter, James, and John to different places in the scripture and pulling them out. He goes to the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter, James, and John are with him. He heals Jairus' daughter and uh, Peter, James, and John get to see that. There's certain things that Peter, James, and John got to see because Jesus is modeling We need an inner circle. Do you have an inner circle? Do you have a group that you can pull to the side and go, guys, I feel like I'm gonna die. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be broadcast over Twitter and Facebook, but you you just need a small group of people that you can say, hey guys, I feel like I'm gonna die and I need some help to go through this. And then it says this in verse 39, It says, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed. Um, I've read this verse hundreds of times. And for the first time ever, as we were sitting in the garden, this thought hit me. Think about it. Jesus takes his disciples to a certain place and then he goes over here and says, I'm going over here to pray. And he went a little further. He went further. Like, Jesus went further than we can go. Jesus went on a little bit further And fell on his face and prayed. There's something about our humanity that makes us feel like when we're getting ready to hit a breakthrough, like like there's a wall between us 
in whatever this promise is that God has for us. Like when you read through scripture, there are tons of promises that the Father has for you when it says that you are victorious and when it says that, that we are called to prosper and, when, it, and when, when scripture tells us that we can be free from addictions and we don't have to worry anymore and we don't have to have fear anymore. Like, like I know if you're a follower of Jesus that you can look, if you're held in fear, you can look over there and see scripture says that you are not to be fearful. So what is it that stops us from going to that place? It's our humanity. Our humanity, our flesh, keeps us from going further. And it says, why did he go further? To pray. He went further to enter into a divine conversation with the Lord. See, I think that this is interesting. There's a, there's a ton of different parallels as to why uh, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane but, but I, I just want to point out one. Why did Jesus end his time here with his disciples on earth in a garden? There's another place in scripture where it talks about a garden. And it's in Genesis. The Garden of Eden. And in this garden, it was perfect. And in this garden, we, Adam and Eve... Humanity was originally called to walk in intimacy with God, to communicate with the Father, to walk in the cool of the day, as it says in Scripture. We were called to unhindered connect with the Father, moment by moment, day by day. But where did we fall short? When the serpent entered the story and began to question God's authority, and Eve ate of the fruit that she was not supposed to. You see, what I think happened in that moment, what if Eve, when she was confronted with this idea to take of this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and eat it, what if she would have said, hey, um, serpent, let me get right back to you. Let me go ask what God thinks about this. Would the story have changed? Yeah. The story would have been very different had Eve said, hey, one second. All right, so let's put this in context. Hey, fear. Hey, doubt. Hey, worry. Hey, addiction. Hey, whatever struggle you are calling out. One second. Let me go see what God thinks about this. Scripture tells me not to be fearful. Scripture tells me that I'm victorious. Scripture tells me that I'm a son of the king. I'm a daughter of the king. You see, this is what Jesus was modeling. He was getting ready to face the physical, his physical flesh death. He was getting ready to die on the cross. His humanity has never more been seen in any other passage than in this moment. And what does he do? Like he struggles in the flesh, just like we did. But what did he do? It says he went a little further and prayed. Can I encourage you? In the face of whatever adversity you have going on, what if you went a little further? 
past the point of where you think you can go. And you went and asked the father what he thinks. Father, what do you think about this situation? What do you think about where I'm at? I know that this addiction has been wearing me out day in and day out. I know this fear has been wearing me out day in and day out. Let me just go a little further. Instead of giving in, let me ask you what you think. So it says he goes on to pray. He fell on his face and he prayed. This verse is the, it's the transition point. Because Jesus went further than his humanity. In that prayer that he prayed, which we're going to look at in a second, he accessed the power source by going to the Father in conversation. See, this was the moment of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. All of Jesus' humanity was seen in this moment. And he opened himself up to receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit to carry out what he was called to do in this. It was a divine conversation that he entered into in this moment. And he said, look at this in verse 39. He says, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you you will. Never more has the humanity of Jesus been seen. Hey, God, I don't want to do this. Hey, God, I don't want to stink and do this. <laughs> I don't want to die. I don't want to struggle. I don't want to see my flesh ripped off. Like, I don't want to do this. Can, is there any other way, Lord? And the transition is, but not as I will, but as you. You see, there's something about us coming to the very end of our humanity that sets us up for the empowering of the Spirit. There's something about us coming to that very end of ourself to go, God, I cannot do this, whatever it is. God, I cannot overcome this addiction. God, I can't overcome this fear. God, I cannot be victorious on my own. There is not a chance, God. I can't do it. But I want your will. I want your will more than I want anything else. That's the place where we get set up to receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit. God, I don't want to do this. Not as I will, but as you will. You see, what happens in that moment is Jesus trades in his human desire to go to a place that his humanity can't take him. He's trading in his humanity. He's trading in his flesh to receive a spiritual place that his flesh could never take him. He's not trading it in, get this, okay, because this is the key to it. He's not trading it in so that he can go die. He's trading it in so that he can be resurrected. You see that? But standing between him and resurrection is death. Because you can't be resurrected if you don't die, right? That's common sense. 
You see, so many times we want to be resurrected. We want to experience new life, but we're not willing to die to get there. We're not willing to die to get to the resurrection. We have to understand that the promise of the Father, because of how Jesus lived this out, the promise of the Father is resurrections on the other end. Whatever the hard thing is that you have to go through to get to resurrection, resurrection is better. New life is better. Whatever you think the hard thing is that you have to go through, it pales in comparison to the new life that you will receive. It pales in comparison. And this is what he's promising us. He's showing us how to do this. He went further than his humanity could ever take him. See, this is the design for all of us. We're all called to do this. But our humanity can't get us there. Jesus went first. Number one, because he was perfect and sinless and provided the sacrifice for us to even be able to consider to do this. So he went first because of that. And then he also went first because it shows us that there is resurrection on the other side. And I'm not, listen, friends, I'm not just talking about like we're all gonna just hang on and go to heaven together, all right? When Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he promised that heaven is coming to earth, We're not just waiting and hanging out to get there. And resurrection isn't something that just happens when I die and then I'm gonna resurrect and go to heaven. No, resurrection is here and now. You have the ability to experience a new life that is more powerful and more uh, amazing that my words could ever tell you. I am experiencing new life every single day. But you have to be willing to die. You have to be willing to go through whatever hard things that comes between you and the Father. That's what Jesus did. His flesh was keeping him between communion, full connectivity between him and the Father. His flesh was keeping him from full connectivity. So he said, God, I don't want to do this, but you know what? It's not as I will, it's as you will. I'm gonna go further. Rip my skin off if you have to, but I'm gonna go further because I want communion with you. I want community with you more than I want anything else. That is the desire that we have to have. So, (laughs) isn't this a good message? Like, aren't you guys like feeling just super excited? Um, Verse 40, it goes, listen to this. His, uh, his prayer group, right? Peter, James, and John. Hey guys, I'm getting ready to die and like this sucks really bad and I feel horrible. So will you just stay here and pray for me? Like I just need you guys to pray for me. So thanks accountability group. I'm gonna ask that you pray for me. I'm gonna go over here and pray. He prays, not as I will, but you, your will be done. And he comes back to his three and what are they doing? Dang it. <laughs> Probably Jesus didn't say that because that's like a Christian cuss word. Dang it is. Um, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He found them sleeping. Everything in scripture is symbolic. It's all, it's all real and it all happened, 
but, but there's always spiritual symbolism that's wrapped up in all this stuff. He found them sleeping. You see, this is where our flesh takes us when we give ourselves over to it. It causes us to fall asleep. Did you know that the enemy is not super interested in getting you to sin binge? He's just interested in getting you to fall asleep. Because at both places, he's accomplishing the same thing. Whether you're on the greatest sin binge you've ever been on, (laughs) and you are flying uh, loose and ready to roll, like if you're going at it hard every single day, or you're just asleep, the enemy still wins. Because either way, you are not effective in the kingdom. Either way, people aren't seeing Jesus through you. Complacency is just as bad as blatant sin. The enemy doesn't have to get you to act bad. He just has to get you to stop acting at all. Because an inactive Christian, an inactive follower of Christ that's just sitting here and watching the game of life get played is just as ineffective as the one that's playing against the team. (laughs) So when Jesus comes back and finds them sleeping, they've given themselves over to their flesh. They've given themselves over to complacency. They've fallen asleep. Get this. They've taken themselves out of the divine conversation. That's what prayer is, right? They have an ability to step into this divine conversation between Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father. They're invited into a divine conversation with the Lord and their flesh calls them to fall asleep. So they're out of the game, right? Thank God Jesus wasn't depending on their intercession. He goes on and says, could you not stay up with me for an hour? Could you not watch for an hour? Watch and pray, listen to this, that you may not enter into temptation. And this verse hit me like a ton of bricks. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He did this three times, by the way, and found them sleeping each time. But that passage, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit, notice in in the scripture, it's a little s. Not capital S like Holy Spirit, little s spirit. The little s spirit, whenever you see that in the New Testament, that is the word pneuma, which is the same word as for the word Holy Spirit. And pneuma means breath. It means motivation, like, like I think about it like wind in a sail, like a sailboat, okay? That's what, that's what the wind does. The wind, you can't see the wind, but it's what motivates, it's what carries the, the sailboat on the water. And that's what our spirit is. Our spirit blows us, compels us to do whatever it is that we are going to do. It's like a current of air. Our spirit is willing but our flesh 
is weak. In other words, we can be impassioned to a place that our flesh can't go. Did you get that? We can be impassioned. Our fire can be stoked to a place that our flesh will not take us. Small example. When you're sitting watching TV and you see the, the picture of the little kid in Africa with the flies all over their face, right? And they're like, $2 a day can change this kid's life forever. And there's this like emotion of like, we've got to do something. The world is a dying place and they're all going to hell and they're struggling. We got to do something. You get impassioned. And then five minutes later, you're making a sandwich and going about your day, right? Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. We can be impassioned to places that our flesh cannot carry us. Our flesh cannot take us. You see, that's the Father calling us deeper. He's calling us to a place our flesh can't go. The last, I don't know, few months of my life, this verse, ever since I got back from Israel, has come up over and over and over again. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. One day I sat in Scott's office and I said, man, I said, like, why do you keep going? Like, just, just tell me, why do we keep doing what we're doing? And I don't know if that's appropriate for a pastor to share. <laughs> but sometimes life just gets heavy. The burdens that we carry are real, just like the burdens that you carry. And sometimes I sit in my office or I'm driving down the road and the weight of the world I feel like is on me and I'm like, why don't I just go drive a bread truck? We call it bread truck Mondays. You can show up on a Monday morning, beat up, and that thought of, man, I could just go drive a bread truck. Nobody cares about a bread truck. If it wrecks, it's just bread. They make it every day, right? My spirit's willing. I'm like, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You want me to move to Africa? Sure, I'm in. You want me to stay here? Yes, I'm in. You want me to preach? Yes, I'm in. You want me to teach? Sure. Whatever it is, God, I'm in. My spirit is willing. Stay up and pray with you all night? Yes, Lord. Woo! All night prayer vigil. Sounds awesome. Super excited. Until about midnight. And I'm like, dozing off. Why? My spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. All of us, our flesh is weak. Our flesh is so human and it's so broken. That word weak literally means strengthless. It means to be sick, to have physical limitations, to have no power. You see, God is calling us past our weakness into his kingdom He's calling us past our flesh to experience his kingdom for the promise of resurrection, but death 
is a prerequisite to that. It's a prerequisite to real life. Our flesh can't take us there. In fact, when we start, when the Lord starts like drawing us in, because every single one of us have a, has a measure of faith, like I don't care if you're the most staunch atheist in the world or whether you're the biggest pillar of faith, like there is a seed of faith in every single one of us where God like draws us. He's calling all of us. And, and, and that seed of faith begins to like churn in us, but immediately our flesh starts going, no, 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 you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. You can't act that way. You can't live that way. You'll never be like such and such. You'll never do this. You'll never do that. You'll never experience the place where God's kingdom is because you have limitations. Jesus modeled how we are to react by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He says, Father, I don't want to do it, but I will if you ask me to. You see, it's easy for us to base our existence on our flesh. You know why? Because our flesh is the most easily seen. It's the most tangible. It's the lowest common denominator. Our flesh is what we feel. It's what we touch. It's what we sense. Our flesh is easy to identify with because it's always here, right? Our flesh is easy to identify with. It's the most easily perceived. It's the most easily felt. But here's the deal. We cannot always trust our feelings because our feelings have been tied to our old self for a long time. When you become a follower of Jesus, just like in John, um, when, when Jesus and Nicodemus are having a conversation, he says, you must be born again, right? When you become a follower of Jesus, you become a new baby, There's a new little baby in your life. And that new little baby says, hey, old self, I want to sit on the throne. And let's say you get get saved, you become a follower of Jesus when you're 20. And your 20-year-old self goes, hey, little baby, I don't think so. I'm on the throne. I run the show, little baby. Like, you, you don't run this show. Our older self is always more mature than our spiritual self. But that spiritual self is saying, I need to be on the throne. Like, trust me. Let the Spirit empower. Let Jesus run the show. But it's really hard because we don't always feel like it. We don't always feel like it. We don't always feel like giving over control. The reason that we see failure in our walk is because we're choosing to operate out of the willingness of our spirit in the weakness of our flesh instead of partnering with the Holy Spirit. We choose to say, I'm in, but I'm weak. And because I'm weak, I can't do it. God, that's a great idea. There will be missionaries that will go to Africa. (laughs) There will be people that will evangelize this community for you but I can't do it because it's just not who I am. What if he's calling you outside of yourself? What if he's calling you to step into something where a new self is there? 
in this passage, I just want to share this one passage and then I'm done. In uh, Romans chapter 8. Listen to this. It says, The Spirit, capital S, Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. That little baby new self (laughs) that's growing up in Jesus, the Holy Spirit actually intersects with your spirit to bear witness, to say you are a follower of Jesus. He says, you're a child of God, 17. And if you're children, then you are heir. You're an heir of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You're supposed to live, move, breathe, and act the way Jesus did. Not because you're that good or because you're that capable, but because the Holy Spirit will empower you just like he did Jesus. He says, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. You see, I think so many times we just stop at the part that says we need to just suffer with him. Listen, living a life for Jesus is not about suffering. It's about resurrection. It's about new life. It's about opportunity. It's about glory. It's about miraculous experiences that you never thought possible. But standing between you and new life is death. And your flesh will do everything it can to keep you from going to that place. Because our spirit's willing, but our flesh is weak. And so I just, I want to challenge you today that as the Father is calling you home, He's calling all of us back. He's calling all of us into Himself. Here's the question. Where's the Holy Spirit calling you that your flesh can't take you? Where's he calling you? Where your flesh, where you know for a fact that your flesh can't go. The Holy Spirit will empower you. He will equip you. But we've got to embrace this new identity. Listen, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you can die to yourself. You can. Because of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome addictions. You can be set free from sin. You can be new in Christ. You don't have to be bound by all of the junk that we are continually loading on ourselves, the burdens that we are giving ourselves. You don't have to be fearful anymore. You don't have to worry anymore. Anytime that that stuff starts coming on you, you immediately Go to scripture. You jump into the divine conversation and say, hey God, what do you think about that? What do you think? My spirit's willing, but my flesh is weak, Lord. What do you think? Tell me. And then it says in Romans that your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit. Go, no, 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 that's not your identity anymore. Remember, you're not addicted to that. (laughs) You're set free. You don't have to be fearful anymore. You don't have to worry anymore. You don't have to X, Y, Z. Stop listening to the flesh and join the divine conversation that you've been invited into. He's your power source. He's your power source.